On today's show, with the Cavs playing the Hawks on Tuesday, we're going to talk about the different paths of two teams who made big trades for guards and gave up a lot of draft picks in the process last summer. Let's dive into it. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Alright, that music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. Check them out on your music platform of choice. This episode is, as always, produced by the indomitable Jake Stevens. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. We're the Lockdown Cavs Podcast. Segment one today, we're going to look about how the Cavs are probably happy with their trade and how the Hawks uh, maybe are not particularly happy with the trade they made last summer. Segment two, we're going to look at what maybe internal factors and we'll kind of have to fly through those because I think there's a couple that are that are big there. But we'll we'll dive through the internal factors that contributed to the Cavs Donovan Mitchell trade working and maybe why the DeJounte Murray trade hasn't quite worked as well in Atlanta. And then segment three, we're gonna preview Cavs Hawks at seven thirty PM. Third game between these two teams that's in Atlanta. And then the Cavs are off until Friday when they host the New York Knicks. But Evan, let's let's start with these these trades. And I, I wanted to start sure. with a big picture thing on this. I think these trades, the Cavs for Mitchell, the Hawks for Murray, mm-hmm. and I think you put the Rudy Gobert one in there as well. Mm-hmm. They are such a good look at how many picks teams should be careful about giving up. I am very pro teams trying to win. I am not just about teams just trying to play the asset game until until the the crows the crows come home, right? Like I I am go for stuff when you feel it is right. But I think last summer tells us that like there are different paths that work. There are there are a lot of reasons to be very careful and judicious about giving up all of these picks. I, I would posit that only one of the three teams that made a big trade last summer is happy with with their trade, at least in terms of the outcome they have gotten so far. Maybe some of these things get better. Maybe things improve in these other situations. But if there's one team that is absolutely thrilled about their trade and feels great about it, it's the only one right now I would posit is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I agree with that take. It's also an interesting thought exercise to think um, there is a possibility or a different reality where the Cavs get DeJounte Murray instead of Donovan Mitchell. Maybe Donovan Mitchell ends up with the Hawks, and who knows what that looks like down the line as well. But I agree with you. Like The Timberwolves sold the farm for Rudy Gobert, and they tried to make or tailor things more to Gobert than they did anything else. Uh, the, the Atlanta situation is just a mess across the board, starting with Trey Young, the coaching situation. Like, I think Quinn Snyder is going to fix some things for it, but I don't think it's going to be something you see immediately for Atlanta. Um, but in Cleveland's case, when you look at how Donovan Mitchell's just kind of been a hand-in-glove fit from the get-go, where you and I, when the trade was first announced, like, oh, there's going to be some growing pains. And sure, there were. I think maybe not for Garland and Mitchell, but for everyone else on the roster with Mitchell. But... It's paid off in spades for Cleveland at this point. They're on track to win 50-ish games this year. They could be the three seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, This is the kind of move you want to make if you're the Cavs. If you want to go from uh, fringe playoff slash play-in team to a legitimate force in the Eastern Conference, and it's paying off already, whereas you look at like Atlanta or even in Minnesota's case, like it hasn't worked out for them at all, and they're kind of stuck in a rudderless position trying to find the way 
to find a path where they're in a similar spot to the Cavs. But yeah, Cleveland, at least in terms of just like recency bias and maybe instant returns on the exchange, the Cavs are the biggest winners just between these three teams that made the splashiest moves uh, last offseason. What I where I think things get interesting is just that I, I, I like I look at the Wolves, they're seventh. You know, they they did change their defensive scheme to really accommodate a bear and change what they asked Cat to do. I think that's been that's been tricky. Obviously, Cat missed a ton of time. Mm-hmm. They traded for Gobert at this moment that was like Gobert is heading towards a different phase. Like he'd had this really high run. You can feel how you want about him, but like was a very impactful player, but like is do a lot of money headed towards this specific thing. Murray is like was like a, had the best season of his career last year. You know, the analyst, I, I can't like, you know, Evan and I are not watching the Hawks like night in and night out, right? Like that is not... No. This situation, like I've watched them a fair bit, but it's like you're not Nor seeing were you, like watching the Spurs every game last season either. Right. But like, I mean, like I like I watch it. I watch as much as I can. And you look at the numbers and you figure some of this out. And like the numbers would tell you that Murray hasn't been as as good this year. Like, you know, his his the, the analytics last year had him as like the best of his career, like a very good two way player. And this year it's it's not it's not been that for him. And, you know, like, what does that say about, you know, his fit with Trey? Like, what does that say about? what his role is going to be like all these things are complicated and like i i also understand like how teams decide they want to go for something and like i i do understand that it's like the wolves it's like okay we have cat we have anna sending let's let's go for a splash to get a new general manager in okay the hawks are like okay we made the conference finals two years ago last year we didn't hit you know we kind of had to get through the play-in tournament didn't make a playoff run in the same way let's go let's go try to get something to kind of compliment trey and and shake things up a little bit and like they just those moves did not work. Whereas the Mitchell one, the Cavs, I think, maybe benefited more than anything else. This maybe leads a little bit into the the second segment is that Mitchell really has just kind of like things have changed. Things are different. Like, this is not the same team run back from last year, but he has fit in to like a lot of was there. Like he hasn't, I don't think, changed. He hasn't like made Darius Garland like change how he plays. Darius Garland is still very much Darius Garland. Evan Mobley has like been given the room to still grow, which was going to be a necessary thing here, right? Like all of this stuff has just been like Mitchell accentuated what was already there. And I don't, and looking at these other teams, I don't know if I feel the same way about those other things. And maybe, and look, maybe, maybe these teams make these trades anyway, but if it makes me just wonder like how care, like how careful you should be if you're one of these teams and you want to give up just all of these future picks. I agree with you. I think the Donovan Mitchell bump, it changed expectations, certainly. Maybe Cleveland's culture was just too strong to fail, but your point is 100% accurate. Like, Donovan Mitchell, no disrespect to DeJounte Murray or even Rudy Gobert, was a superstar caliber player being sent to the Cleveland Cavaliers, whereas DeJounte Murray is, like you said, at least last season, uh, an elite two-way player, a former all-star. Rudy Gobert is a former perennial defensive player of the year, but I had reservations with the Wolves giving up that much for a center who is either entering or kind of exiting his prime or maybe is in his prime right now. And like, just is a lot of questionable fits. Like the Wolves are just a questionable team in general. Like the same with the Hawks. Like it's tough to fully figure out how trades function. Like there's a, again, we talked about, I talked about different realities uh, in my first point, but there's a reality where like Mitchell doesn't work and maybe Murray does and Gobert does. And the Cavs are kind of reeling a little bit from the situation, but Trades are a gamble, and you have to be confident in what you're building, what your culture is, um, just all the factors outside of this trade to make sure that like this doesn't rock the boat too much. And in the Murray situation, it rocked the boat in terms of just like 
picks compensation and changes and everything like that. And also just the Hawks are just an oddly run organization where they're constantly looking to make trades to maybe get back to the Eastern finals like they did, or maybe in the NBA finals, but they're a bit of a mess and maybe Quinn Snyder can fix it. Like I said, and then like the wolves, they're just odd in general. And I think like the trade for D'Angelo Russell going to the Lakers and them getting Mike Conley back is just to kind of give them salary relief because they're like, Oh crap, we have well, it, our payroll. It, well, it's like, future. Hey, well, it's like, Hey, like we, it, but it's also like, Hey, like we, we need someone that just gets how to play with Rudy Gobert. That's and no one, no one and else Mike in that Conley. team knew how to play with Rudy Gobert, except for Mike Conley. I think that's the oddest thing. And I think more so, compliment to donovan mitchell and to your point like the Cavs didn't have to go out and like make a move to find a player that fits better with donovan mitchell whereas donovan mitchell became malleable and adapted his game to what the Cavs need and like you see that defensive bumper and he's arguably having the best season of his career with the Cavs this year maybe not, it's a reinvigoration but not, argue, not arguably it is the best season of his career it is the best season of his career we're in agreement on that and I think that's credit to Mitchell. I think that's credit to the Cavs coaching staff. Like, I think it's just like a lot of factors that were in play and somehow it's just like a perfect storm and they caught lightning in a bottle and they made it function and click and work. And it's great. Like if you're the Cavs, you are patting yourself on the back because shoot with how well Donovan Mitchell has played this year. Larry Marketing, Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, some first round picks and future swaps feels like too little for what Donovan Mitchell has given you. And you're more than pleased with giving up that much for him to begin with. We're going to talk about some more of these factors, but today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The tournament is heating up. We're, you know, we're into the Final Four on the men's side. The, the, we're deep into the Elite Eight, heading into the Final Four on the women's side. And there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. There's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to the point spread to what team's going to be cutting down the net. And look, that's all in an app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your chance at... A no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you go to fanduel.com backslash locked on today. That is, again, if you join Fanduel right now today, make every moment more with Fanduel. All right, Evan, I'm going to, I'm going to, what we're going to do for this, this segment here is I'm going to, I have four things that I think we should hit on that are contributing factors. And I, okay. I think just considering we have about, you know, eight to 10 minutes here, I'm going to pull my timer, my stopwatch. Two minutes on the clock. We're going to get this compactly done. Number one, Darius Garland. Darius Garland has proven to be an incredibly malleable and giving co-partner for Donovan Mitchell. And this does not work if Darius Garland is like, nah, F this. I, I want to be the man. I got to do this last year. If he is not willing to play the way he has and turn over some of the responsibility to Mitchell, this does not work the way it has. I agree with you. I wonder how much... Darius studied guys like Don or sorry, Mike Conley. I think having Ricky Rubio in the back in his ear as well works. I think Bickerstaff having experience with obviously Rubio and Mike Conley in the past. Like there is so many ways just outside of Darius Garland being malleable to work with Donovan Mitchell that it, it has been a seamless fit. I am very much surprised and pleased to see that this fit wasn't as clunky as it might have been at first, just because 
it's two ball dominant guards learning to function with one another. And I just think it's super impressive that Garland is putting up the same production that he had last year, all while sharing the floor and the responsibilities of Donovan Mitchell on offense. Basically, if you look at like the, the analytics version of it, same amount of expected wins as last year. He's got a higher EPM. He's braided out as a better defender. And he he's basically about the same offensive output on on a and a, on about like a it's it's a one percent lower usage playing about the same minutes per game gonna finish close to the same amount of games he played last year and like most of his numbers are basically the same he's turning the ball over less which is which is maybe the biggest leap he's made all year and he's really settled into like I'm gonna be the guy that keeps the trains running on time and and make everything work and he's not gonna be like in the All NBA discussion the guard spots are too competitive. But like that guy should be like on the honorable mentions. He's having like an incredible year. Like I think he's a better All NBA candidate than Jalen Brunson is where I bat with it and started to dive into that. I agree with you on that. Do you think he's not going to get it? But do you, like, he's a sneaky good option for most improved player as well, just with how well he's played this year. Just, like the turnovers and assists and just like all these small mitigating factors that I think you would have got it last. Winning. I think you would have got it last he's, year if he was going to get it. I think Mobley is the what I would say. Mobley next year is the the Cav the Cav to get most improved. I think there's a lot of award candidates the Cavs could have had last year, whether it's Kevin Love, Sixth Man of the Year, J.B. Bickerstaff, Coach of the Year, James yeah. Garland, MIP, Revan Mobley, Rookie of the Year, and they didn't win them. But it's kind of impressive just how much all these guys have improved and gotten better, but they're not in the conversation. But, hey, if you're the Cavs, I don't think you want Singletary awards. You want to try and make some noise in the playoffs. So they, I, I think they definitely are going to do that. What's your next point? All right, Donovan Mitchell, he showed up motivated as F. Can't swear, but... Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell clearly showed up and was like, I went out in a bad way in Utah last year. I need to play two-way basketball. I need to be engaged. I need to be a leader. I need to step out of like my, as far as he's kind of framed it, I think a little bit step outside of his comfort zone a little bit in terms of how he speaks about things. He has been like the guy that shows up at the podium after games. He's the guy like talking to the coaches when he comes off the floor he feels like he is like setting like the drumbeat and the expectations for this team. And if Mitchell had showed up and been like, not going to do that, this team would be worse off for it. And this, this trade could have looked differently. So he, he himself, there's a lot of credit and it tells you, I think a lot about how quality Mitchell is that he showed up and been this dude. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think more so just like he openly admitted that he expected to be a part of the Knicks. I think we all did uh, yeah. last off season and he didn't make a stink about it. Cause you know, New York, wonderful city, Cleveland, also a wonderful city, but New York is home for Mitchell. It's also got a lot more going for it amenity wise, just compared to Cleveland. But he came in, uh, as Chris said, like adapted himself to Cleveland situation. He didn't make the Cavs bend their will to him. Like, yeah, they adapted to having Donovan Mitchell on the floor, but I think him working in unison and tandem with the Cavs personnel and coaching staff has been really helpful. I think, like you said, he wanted to show that maybe just what happened against the Mavericks in the playoffs last year wasn't just like what he's going to be. He has admitted on several occasions, like he kind of lost his fire for fun factor in basketball in his last few years in Utah. And like in Cleveland this year, it's kind of re-sparked his love for the game again. And I think that's certainly a huge factor as well. And like you said, he he adapted to the situation, like he became more of a two-way player and He's having the best season of his career, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's still wild to say Donovan Mitchell is a two-way player for the Cavs because when this trade went down, you and I had the defensive concerns, and it's kind of been hushed a little bit with just Mitchell at least trying on that side of the ball and providing production. Yeah. He's He's been great. Should be locked for All-NBA. All right, oh, number yeah. three, J.B. Bickerstaff. Not going to win Coach of the Year. I think Mike Brown's probably getting that, and I think very well-deserved. Correct. 
but Bickerstaff, if if they had the wrong coach and the buy-in wasn't there, and I think Atlanta is maybe the best, the kind of good comparison for this, because like clearly there was there's no buy-in from at least Trey with Nate McMillan, and that really sabotages what was going on there. Yeah. And if that had happened here and there wasn't a rapport between Bickerstaff and the guys from last year and then a rapport between Donovan and JB, this does not work. And like the him being the guy, I think, truly, truly has mattered. I agree with you. I think it also helps that the front office gave the Cavs and more so JB Bickerstaff the benefit of the doubt. They knew like, hey, this is going to be a growing process. This is a rebuild out of this, out of LeBron leaving for a second time. Like they have to take their time and buy their time on this one. And I think Bickerstaff kind of having that runway to grow as a coach as well, because he is incredibly young. He's not the youngest coach in the playoffs, but he's towards the bottom of the list in terms of age at this point. But it, that's helpful because he's grown a lot as a coach. He talked about it prior to the Rockets game the other day where he felt like he was coaching for his life because it's just chaos and they're just coming off the Western Finals and there's the James Harden factor and everything else. Then he still gets fired after the fact or it's a similar situation in Memphis where he's coaching for his life. Whereas in Cleveland, he wasn't named the interim coach to start things off after John Bayline stepped down. He was just named head coach and the Cavs have ridden with him good and bad and mostly good at this point now. But there are spells throughout the season where like Bickerstaff made some questionable decisions and there's some growing experiences. But like you said, he has his finger on the pulse of this locker room. He has the full faith and trust of his coaching staff and his players. And I think that's what I'm talking about. Like Cleveland maybe feels confident enough that their culture is too strong to fail that if they bring in a superstar like Donovan Mitchell, they can adapt to that situation and make him assimilate into what they're building and just make themselves stronger as a whole for it. Yeah, I, I think like too strong to fail is like I think an interesting question just because I think I don't think we I, I think it's like hard to kind of know some of that unless you're like I think winning deep inside a lot of this too like this culture aspect for Cleveland really took a turnaround when the Cavs came out hot last season and continued to keep winning mm-hmm. and winning like helps built, winning helps a lot like you look at the Hawks there's a toxic situation but they're not playing well you look at like the the Jazz last year with Gobert and Mitchell like the playoff burnouts and washouts that they had were probably eating at them. The COVID aspect of the Gobert probably ate at the locker room morale as well. Like there's a lot of stuff at play and like the Cavs for some reason remain steady Eddie. And I think winning helps a lot with that. Last thing, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley is the last one here. He's ascending. He is becoming like, you know, I think the third best guy in the team. I think he's becoming this like superstar that is raising it to another level. And in the, the way that like, you know, like the Wolves, you know, Cat missed a bunch of the year, you know, and started off slow. You know, Atlanta hasn't gotten like upper trajectory stuff from like DeAndre Hunter and they traded Kevin Herter and like all this stuff. The, the Cavs like to the uh, to like the upper, upper percentile, right? Got this like superstar young breakout from Evan Mobley. And like that is as much as part of why this has worked in a lot of degrees to me in a lot of ways, just because Mobley has given you more and given you so much. And he just is another like layer to like how good this team has gotten and he is he is going to keep being that I think going forward in a way that none of these other teams have and that would like he's a generational guy so like that's Mm -hmm. not replicable but like that if you if you feel like you have that guy maybe like it makes maybe it makes these trades easier to pull off if you have someone that can continue to help boost you as you go forward I think Evan Mobley's biggest strength uh coming out of his rookie season to now is just how adaptable he is as a player 
you bring in Donovan Mitchell, and Bickerstaff's mentioned this a lot, like the Cavs weren't expected to be good last year, but like Evan Mobley wasn't demanding or chucking up 20 shots to try and build his offensive repertoire. He'd rather grind and help the team win, whether it's through the little things or on defense. And you see this year, it's a lot of that where he is that flashpoint, that conduit for the Cavs playing this quote-unquote winning basketball because he's doing all the little things on defense and he's letting his offensive game grow at a pace he's comfortable at, all while Donovan Mitchell is just trying to get comfortable with the rest of this team where you don't see like a bunch of just alphas, I guess, uh, to represent the three alphas in Chicago with Butler, Wade, and Rondo. But there's a lot of strong personalities in that locker room that kind of just mesh co coexist well with one another. And there's not really a guy who like wants to be the absolute dominant force. And Mobley's one of those. And I think it's just, again, he is so good. He is the third best player. I'd agree with you. He could be the second best player on the Cavs by the time the playoffs are done. And I'll reiterate what I said on Monday's show. Like, the Cavs could have a very scary situation in a good way where Mobley is their second-best player heading into next season and continues on the trajectory where he becomes the best player. And then it shifts from how far can Donovan Mitchell take this team to how far can Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley take this team with Darius Garland and Jared Allen just flaking them in just star-level status. All right, let's wrap up the show. Let's talk about Cavs-Hawks. So, Evan, I think the, the one of the things I wish... I wish this game was in Cleveland just because I would like to see in person what Donovan has to say about Quinn Snyder because they had such a connection in Utah. He's heaped a lot of praise on him throughout the year this year. And Quinn Snyder is obviously now the coach of the Atlanta Hawks. Took over for Nate McMillan after the All-Star break. And I'm just curious to see what Donovan has to, to say about that. That's, just, that. that's a small thing that doesn't super matter, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I am curious as well. I did think about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Hawks did get Sadiq Bey and Quinn Snyder, and Sadiq Bey is working really well as the gunner for the Hawks now. But Quinn Snyder, I think, is a better fit for what the sorry, the Hawks are trying to do. Maybe they try to do more of the jazzy and stuff on offense and just rely on the strength and athleticism on defense. But I, I am curious to see what Donovan Mitchell would say. And just more so, like, I want to see, like, the long-term vision in Atlanta because... When you look at a team like the Hawks, they make a power move like the Cavs did. Like those two organizations should be primed to be like, okay, yeah, Boston is ascending. Milwaukee's going to age out. But like Atlanta and Cleveland kind of come into that top three conversation. And then they join Boston that makes for NBA finals contenders. So maybe this is a way to turn things around for the Hawks and make these matchups a little juicier. Just because the Hawks are probably the most disappointing team this season, I'd say. And them are the Wolves. but. It's been interesting to watch them function, and I'm kind of curious how this matchup is going to go just because, like, the Cavs have locked up a playoff spot, but they are trying to gun for that three seed, I think, especially with the Sixers resting Joel Embiid against Denver. Yeah, what a what a bummer. What a what an absolute bummer that is. Um, so in the actual game itself, I, I think the Cavs should win this. We don't have a line yet up from our, from our fans at FanDuel, but the Cavs should be favored, like, they are better than Atlanta qualitatively. They have beaten teams at this level pretty recently. If you go back to the game, the last time these two teams played, this is a one-on-one series on the year. Atlanta won the last matchup. This was a game in, in Atlanta, uh, February 24th, so a, a little over a month ago, where this was a game where Trey Young took 15 free throws. It was 14 to 15 from the line. The Cavs as a team in that game, uh, you know, he took like, Basically, like half the amount of free throws the Cavs did, like just on his own. Garland was seven to seven, Mitchell was five to five, and that game Allen was six to six. But Trey had thirty-four points and fourteen of those 
were from the free throw line. That was such like a big advantage for them. It really juiced the offense in that game. They got other, you know, they got they also were really hot from three in that game. They were fifteen to twenty eight. So there's like things of that game that like you go back and just look at the box score and look at some of the clips and I don't know if some of that is super, you know, like replicable for Atlanta in some ways, but obviously Trey getting to the free throw line is something he's, you know, gonna be very good at and, and probably get some calls that drive some people mad and, and make them tweet kind of angry things. Well, not just tweet angry things, but it could frustrate bigger staff. It could frustrate the players, especially because there is going to be, at least I feel a bit of an emotional hangover after clinching a playoff berth. Like I know the Cavs are saying all the right things like, Hey, we'll celebrate tonight, but then we shift our focus Tuesday or sorry, rather Monday to Atlanta for the game on Tuesday. But it's, there's going to be a little bit of emotional relief and maybe some weight lift off some of the players' shoulders. And you got to see how they respond after just clinching a pretty big feat for them. And how they just handle this Hawks team because there is some emotional aspects that could be triggered here where it's like Trey Young just getting to the free throw line more often. Like if you let that stuff bother you enough to let it beat you, like that could be a deciding factor for you. And like, yeah, DeJounte Murray hasn't been a perfect fit, but like he's going to be a grinder on one of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Like the Hawks have the pressure points to frustrate the Cavs a little bit, especially with Jared Allen questionable and Isaac with a groin injury and Isaac Okoro questionable with his knee injury. Like the Cavs could be playing shorthanded with Dean Wade being doubtful and Danny Green being out as well. See, the, the impact of this game, I think, is pretty straightforward. If the Cavs want to have hopes of being the three seed, they, they enter Monday night's games, two games back of Philly. Um, we're recording this, obviously, before they play in Denver without Joel Embiid, who is resting with a calf thing. They kind of got to win this game. Like, if there's any hope of that, you, you need to win that game. And you further just kind of solidify yourself with a win. There's not a ton of time left. There's not a ton of self-love to go. The big game is later this week against the Knicks. But this is a game that if you have any aspirations of getting there... Got to win it for, and Atlanta has some motivation to to try to win it. Their their hopes of getting out of the plane are, are basically not. They're three games back of the six seed. They're under five hundred. All the other teams in the you know at, from five six seven are are above five hundred, but they're trying to probably get as much possible upper seeding as they can. Stay in eighth. They're tied with the Raptors right now. Staying ahead of Toronto is going to be like if, if one of these teams has like more straight up to play for tomorrow on Tuesday. It is Atlanta, but the Cavs still, there is still something at stake. And I'm curious to see, too, just what kind of, if there's any trying anything out, you know, is, if Danny Green's yeah. illness is, is good, does he get minutes, which Bickers ever said he wants to do. But the Hawks probably have more like immediacy to play for in this game. So keep, keep that in mind as you're kind of thinking about it. So things can change, but I don't want to burst your bubble, but Green is out tomorrow against the Hawks, or sorry, Tuesday against the Hawks. Yeah. This well, yeah. Tuesday's episode. But. Regardless, I I am curious to see just how Bickerstaff handles things. Maybe we do see some playoffy stuff. But as we wrap this up, what do you think Cleveland's playoff rotation is going to be? I, it's obviously the starting five, and then I think it's just Levert being your sixth man, Rubio after that. But Chetty Osmond might have the opportunity to bump Rubio for minutes, and he's the seventh man for this team. And that that's just pretty much what they stick with. I, I think that's I don't think I I think this is like an episode we should do. But to, yeah. to answer this now, I, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's I think Rubio is going to play. I don't think there's any indication that Rubio is not going to oh, like get, get I, trust. I, I agree. Like it's just maybe he's got a shorter leash than Jetty does right now, just because Jetty mm. red shooting. I, I think if I know what Bickerstaff likes and what he's going to trust and who I think might hold the better defensively. 
I think it is Rubio. Whereas I think Jetty might get himself like in some wing trouble. Maybe not against like the Knicks, but if they played certain teams, like and he just the gets roasted defensively. Might yeah. My guess would be the five starters, and then you get to Levert, then you get to Rubio, and then it's like Lamar and, and Jetty, depending on what the matchup calls for. That would be my guess. Like I don't think you're gonna see Dean. Like I don't think you're gonna unless something changes, like I don't think Danny Green's a part of that. I think like injuries obviously could lead you to see other guys, but I think it is I, I think the top seven feel like Rubio uh-huh. and Levert and you're gonna play smaller. That's kind of what they've done of late. And then if the matchup calls for it, then it's Lamar. If they need the shooting and he's riding maybe as a hot hand one night, then and you feel like you can kind of overcome some of the defensive issues, then I think you could see Jetty. Okay. Lamar is someone I didn't think of just because he's been getting that weird like five minute run in the sec first half and then just nothing in the second half. But maybe that's just bigger stuff trying like back end rotation stuff or maybe just figuring out some lineup stuff too. But there there could be some playoffy things. I was just curious because we did mention like playoff like stuff the Cavs could experiment with. Maybe if Isaac Okor and Jared Allen are available to go, um, you see some of that playoff rotation stuff and maybe have a better idea of just like minute distribution because I think you might lean on the core four and then you just kind of work it as you see fit with the four other players we had discussed with them. Yeah, the, I think the thing to keep in mind there is Bickerstaff said, and this, this I think is right, they have a lot more practice time the rest of the way because they have more days off. They have a very light schedule the rest of the way. Like They play Tuesday and then they're off until Friday. I, I would suspect that maybe there's a couple things we have to kind of like we, we see in a game, like maybe against the Knicks or maybe not because that's the team you're going to see. But I suspect a lot of the stuff they are starting to think about for the playoffs that's going to matter is going to be behind closed doors, under wraps, and you roll it out when no what you you do it in settings where no one can can scout it and get film on it that would be my guess i think you're right there uh let's just let's put a pin on it we'll have to talk about it in a yeah. later episode for sure yeah playoff rotation episode i think pros and cons of well not even lavert at this point it's like lamar jetty and and rubio and and like maybe like dean just to fill time or something but i think that or is maybe danny green if Danny yeah looks like he's right physically with the limited amount of games they have left in the right yeah we can season. we can yeah we can milk the the danny green content until until <laughs> that, that that utter is is empty but that'll be an episode i think right before the playoffs we can definitely do that uh thanks again for making lockdown cash your first listen every day this episode was produced by jake stevens now, if you're second list of game to game NBA, every moment, every top performance, every result, locked in game to game covers every game from across the NBA with the local analysis only locked on can deliver. You can follow game to game on locked in NBA that is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again to Jake Stevens. Check out the Marrier on Spotify or your music platform of choice.